work. Yeah. While everybody else is sleeping, right? No distractions. That's about the only time to do it, yeah. Yeah. So the Harwood Mysteries, uh, I mentioned it previously, an award-winning medieval historical fiction series for youth published by Loyola Press. And I'm curious, you know, you're the host of a... Uh, ecumenical radio show and podcast focusing on youth issues. It's called The Shepherd's Pie. And uh, with me being married to an Irish woman who loves to make shepherd's pie, I'm curious, A, why that name? And B, you know, your interest in youth, because clearly you write for the youth, you do a podcast for the youth. Where did that come from? And uh, where did The Shepherd's Pie na- name come from? You know, uh, yeah, I've been doing the Shepherd's Pie. This is my second year. It's actually a radio show and a podcast. It broadcasts on WQPH in Massachusetts. Uh, hey, if you ever want it on GRN, let me know. I'll be glad to uh, work with you guys. But, uh, <laughs> but no, it's a, it's a show that really is geared towards uh, parents, teachers, youth ministers, pastors um, on issues that impact youth. And so it kind of goes hand in hand with the reason I actually wrote the Harwood Mysteries, you know, when we were homeschooling our kids, uh, you know, they're a little bit older now, but at the time, you know, Harry Potter was in, in full bloom and, you know, and it's only gotten, you know, more dark in kids' literature today than, uh, you know, uh, Harry Potter. But, uh, but, you know, we were talking about, you know, wouldn't it be great to have, uh, you know, great books that are kind of spooky in vibe, adventuresome, have some history in them, but also have some great religious themes. And so that's what kind of sparked my interest in writing the Harwood Mysteries. And that's the same interest that I had in sort of doing a podcast focused on, you know, issues that impact you. So I, it, it's ecumenical. I, uh, I tend to uh, interview both, uh, you know, Catholic and non-Catholic uh, guests. Uh, many of them are authors or somehow, you know, writing for kids, it seems, but uh, not all of them. And, and we just tackle a host of different issues. As far as the name, you know, I, I was going to name the podcast uh, and show Raising Faithful Kids. And then uh, one of my kids said, well, that's too boring of a name. You know, <laughs> I was like, yeah, but that's exactly what the, uh, yeah. that's exactly what the show is supposed to be about. And, and so we talked about what would be, uh, you know, and so we, we came up with this the Shepherd's Pie, which was actually, I think, my youngest daughter's idea. She actually drew the graphic also, which I used for the show. Uh, and the and the tagline is a slice of hope for faith for raising faithful kids, you know. And so I still got my raising faithful kids in there. <laughs> and you and you avoided being boring. And I apparently avoided being boring, although it maybe doesn't convey the full. Uh, idea. So you got to like see it with the tagline and the little picture of the shepherd's pie that has a little shepherd's staff, you know, with a cross on it. So it's very clear that this is, you know, meant to be a, uh, you know, Christian, uh, you know, show. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, and, and it makes a lot of sense what you're trying to do and, you know, cr- create something that's interesting and uh, has some mystery to it, but also isn't going to lead kids off track from their faith, which is uh, an awesome uh, mission with your book series. So the the first one was Shadow in the Dark. The second was The Haunted Cathedral. The third, The Fire of Eden, and now The Merchant's Curse. Um, if you could, for those who missed the previous interviews that I did with you, what is the overall theme? Who are the characters? And can, can you tell us a little bit about the the overall plot? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So the Harwood Mysteries is 
historical fiction kind of mystery adventure, you know, heavy on the, uh, heavier on the fiction than on the, the historical, perhaps. Um, it takes place in 12th century England. Uh, most of it is in either Yorkshire or Lincolnshire, um, you know, and it really tells the story of a boy uh, who winds up getting the name Zan, short for Alexander. And uh, at this point, he's got two uh, characters, both uh, strong female uh, friends of his. One is Lucy, the one that you probably would recall from uh, especially books one, two, and three. The second character is Christina, and she uh, makes her appearance in book two, and she is essentially the the highlighted um, you know female character in book four, uh, The Merchant's Curse. But the story follows Dan and his friends as they essentially are, you know, it's a coming-of-age story. You know, they start when they're like 11 years old, and, you know, as the series continues, uh, he's, you know, at this point, 14, going to be 15 years old before you know it. Uh, these kids really grow up quick. But, uh, <laughs> but, but he, uh, you know, he basically uh, is orphaned in, in Shadow in the Dark. He loses memory. He winds up at this Benedictine Abbey where he meets Lucy and the monks basically raise him. And um, there's an abbess and, and a nunnery uh, kind of co-located, um, you know, in the same area. And that's where Lucy is staying. And and so uh, and so in book one, it's, it's kind of about uh, there's there's a lot of the idea of, you know, suffering and death. And so the, the, the main mystery um, involves this kind of angel of death figure that seems to be roaming around the abbey grounds at night, the shadow in the dark, if you will. And also these bandits that, you know, attacked Zan's village and now they're attacking the abbey. And, and all of these things are related somehow. And him and, and Lucy try to figure it out in book one. Um, and then if you fast forward... Uh, you know, several months, you get to book two, which is the Haunted Cathedral. And that one, uh, Zan and Lucy wind up in Lincoln, which is a, a major, still, it's still a major tourist attraction in England, about a two-day um, ride from the Abbey. And, uh, and they're investigating whether Lincoln Cathedral is haunted by the ghosts of this little girl. And at the same time, um, book two is really about forgiveness, because Zan basically is forced into a position where he's traveling with the bandit who killed his family and the bandit is kind of repentant and wants his forgiveness but then is got none of that he's very angry and bitter and so you kind of see him struggling with you know you know forgiveness versus you know holding on to your anger um while he's also kind of solving this spooky mystery with with lucy in the cathedral and then, you know, you fast forward about another six or nine months and you get to book three, which is the fire of Eden. And now they're back at Harwood Abbey. Uh, and uh, one of the monks is going to be ordained and his family's prized jewel called Eden's fire, this ruby gets stolen on the, the eve of his ordination. And there is again, a cast of some spooky characters. There's this kind of dark magician figure who lives in the woods near the area where the uh, jewel is stolen. And he's one of the suspects along with several other quirky characters. And so Zan and Lucy are essentially trying to figure out um, who stole the jewel and um, can they, can they get it back before the ordination? And then uh, that's also, and that theme in that one is pride. Uh, pride versus humility is kind of like one of the central themes in The Fire of Eden. 
And then you fast forward again about another nine months and you get now to book four, which is The Merchant's Curse. And um, and I'll pause here because maybe uh, before I get into The Merchant's Curse, you might have some other uh, things you want to talk about. Yeah, it sounds, you know, you mentioned forgiveness and pride and uh, some of these uh, virtues and vices. Is that an intentional kind of um, teaching um kind of methodology that you have in the books that the kids are learning about uh, particular virtues and vices as they go along? Yeah, and it's interesting. There was actually a um, a review that came out on The Merchant Curse today uh, by uh, in Chicago, and uh, he called it a morality play. And in some ways, it, it is kind of, the series is kind of a morality play in that um, you know, it's in the context of a spooky mystery adventure with, with some historical things that I build into it so that you could use it for like, if you wanted to use it with a homeschooling curriculum or a, a, a language arts or, you know, social studies curriculum in a Catholic school. But, um, but at the same time, you kind of have these life lessons that Zan and especially Zan, but Zan and Lucy and Christina are learning as they go through the, uh, you know, kind of go through the fire of these different, uh, you know, the crucible that they are facing. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely intentional because I, I wanted to do something a little different. I didn't just want it to be, you know, a story, and I didn't just want it to be historical. I wanted it also to to really further these good themes, but in a way where the kids would just, it would be organic to the plot, organic to everything that's going on. And uh, so that's what I was shooting for here. Yeah. And um, I'm curious also, <clears throat> you know, when you sat down and wrote Shadow in the Dark, did you have the whole plot kind of in your mind? Did uh, What was going to happen in The Merchant's Curse? Was it already in your mind or does it kind of happen organically as you go from one book to the next? How, what's what's the, uh, you know, what, how much of it is in your head from the beginning or does it just kind of develop as you go along, even within your mind? Yeah, so book one, when I started that, which at this point, gosh, that was 15 plus years ago when I started writing book one, I had a very uh, long burning fuse before I finally got to Loyola Press and had it come out in 2020, uh, which is why my son, who is so much older now, you know, uh, is, is not the kid I wrote the book for anymore, but uh, at the time he was. But when I wrote book one, I really was thinking like, Hey, of course, you know, every author thinks about a series because, you know, if you invest into something, you just want to keep it going sometimes. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but when I wrote book one, it really was self-contained. And, um, then when I wrote the sequel, you know, the Haunted Cathedral, I was starting to think more like, well, maybe, you know, you know, what would I do with this? And, and I started developing this idea of really kind of three three trilogies I actually had in my mind. So at some point, probably between books two and three, I developed a much longer term view. So um, I might not have known exactly what each plot was going to be or exactly which virtue was going to be, but I had a sense of what was, you know, the trajectory going to, you know, of Zan's journey and, and Lucy and now Christina, um, because there's, I, I also picked this time in history because there's a lot of really interesting things going on. And we are in 1184 when book one starts, just about you know 10 or 12 years after Thomas Beckett was martyred by King Henry II. Um, we've got 
another five years before the third crusade is about to begin. Saladin is about to take back Jerusalem in the Holy Land in 1187. And so I, I was sort of working towards the third crusade, which is, you know, everybody knows Richard the Lionheart, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's our third crusade. And so I was, I was working towards that. And so each book also sort of drops little breadcrumbs of what's going on in the Holy Land as we're kind of heading towards this third crusade. And that third crusade is, in my mind, sort of the third trilogy in this series. So I've got sort of, um, you know, books, one, two, three, definitely, you know, we're, we're done as a set. Now, four and five is actually at Loyola Press right now for editing. Hopefully that'll come out in 2023. And, um, and I'm hoping to have uh, six definitely there also. Uh, you know, maybe a year after that. Um, so then we'll see if I ever get to my crusades. But that's what I've been working towards. Okay, so you say three trilogies, so nine might be the the, the total number of books, you think? Uh, which that, which yeah, means you're about, you're about halfway through, right? Yeah, I mean, at this point, exactly. Now, again, you know, Loyola might not sign on for nine, but I'm hoping they'll at least uh, get to six here. Yeah, and um, and then we'll take it by uh, you know, take it uh, one book at a time. Kind <clears throat> yeah, you know, I the 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 writing is one thing, the getting a publisher and going through that whole process and book design and layout and everything. Uh, but I'm guessing marketing it and letting people know that it exists. Of course, that's why we're doing what we're doing right now. What how, how difficult has it been to let people know that these but this series exists? You know, they say writing the book is the easy part, and you don't really appreciate that when you're unpublished because it's so darn difficult to write the book and to finally get it published. But honestly, you know, looking in the rearview mirror from now book four, it is the hardest thing to do, Um, you know, just and especially this kind of book, because um, not only is it like a teen book, it's for ages 10 and up. So like middle schoolers, high schoolers would be my prime audience. But it's a team book in like a historical fiction slash, you know, kind of Christian family values niche. And, uh, you know, and so that is, it's tough to, to get that known. Um, I even joined TikTok uh, just a few weeks ago, <laughs> you know, for the first time. Not that uh, you're going to see me yeah. doing any TikTok dances anytime Oh, man. Soon, but, what a letdown. But, uh, but that's, where the, uh, that's where the kids are at. And so I really wanted to start expanding marketing, you know, uh, you know, there beyond just like Instagram and Facebook and websites and all that. Yeah. When you have a series like this, especially, you know, characters like Zan and Lucy and Christina, like you're talking about, you know, now that you've got five written, four published, um, do you find that there's a little, yeah, I mean, little or perhaps big following that are kind of waiting for the next one to come out? Yeah. Do you have some folks that are following the pot closely and eagerly awaiting the next one? Have you found that it's, it's built up that kind of a fan base yet? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's probably smaller than I wish it were, but it, it's there. And uh, in fact, we just did the book launch for book four in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, at a Catholic bookstore on Saturday. And, uh, and there were a few folks who had come in you know, eagerly awaiting, like, oh, we've been waiting finally for this to come out. And then uh, when you tell them, yeah, well, book five is already at the publisher, 
you know, that's always, you know, neat. And so it's, it's really neat when you meet those people uh, who have been following the series and, you know, wondering when's the next one going to come out. Uh, definitely brightens your day. Yeah, Tony Kolink is my guest. Uh, he has just completed, well, published the fourth uh, in his Harwood Mysteries series. It's an award-winning medieval historical fiction series for youth published by Loyola Press. And this most recent one is called The Merchant's Curse that follows the shadow in the dark, the haunted cathedral, and the fire of Eden. And you can find him online at, uh, tell me if I have this right, uh, AntonyKolenk.com, A-N-T-O-N-Y-K-O-L-E-N-C.com. So AntonyKolenk.com. And I presume that's where folks can purchase the books or, or where else can they go, uh, Tony? Yeah, they, I mean, obviously they can get them on Amazon or at Loyola's website. Um, I also have, a, a, that, that website is my pub, my actual author site that will get you to everything, including the Shepherd's Pie podcast. Um, but, uh, I always encourage people to go to their local bookstore and, and ask for it. Go to your Catholic bookstore and, uh, and say, Hey, do you, you know, stock this? Um, and if they don't have moderate so we could support, uh, mom and pop shops. Um, hey, I guess I should probably tell you since this is book four, I never did tell you the uh, the premise of book four. Um, if I could take a second. Oh, yeah, that. right. You, you you paused and let me cut in. And boy, that I was a long, long cut in, right? <laughs> that was a long cut in. Yeah. This is actually my favorite book of the four of them because Zan is back in Lincoln with Christina and uh, his uncle, he's working with his uncle as a merchant apprentice and his uncle's business partner gets cursed apparently by this witchy kind of woman who seems to have put a death curse on him, like the uncle is dying. And then and Christina have to figure out, you know, what is going on? Is there really a witch? Is this really a curse? How do we break it? Um, and so it's kind of got, a, a, you know, it's, and there's a lot of other stuff going on. This is, you know, I was able to bring all the other books and plot lines and kind of bring them all, um, you know, like I said, it's almost like it's firing on all cylinders now in book four because, um, I was able to bring it all together there. But the other thing that I really love about book four is it, it's almost a case study on the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament in some ways, because the theme of book four is vanity of vanities and all the things in our life that are, um, you know, not going to save us in the end, whether it's money or our looks or fame and so, you know, you kind of see, uh, and this is where that morality play, I think, review came in. You kind of see all the different characters who are struggling with the different vanities of this world as, you know, as Zan is going through this mystery. And, uh, and even Zan, who's seeking wisdom like King Solomon, you know, has to learn that, you know, even seeking wisdom for wisdom's sake is, you know, a vanity of this life. And, and so, for some reason, Ecclesiastes, I love the book, and uh, so I was really excited to kind of work that into uh, the plot here. Yeah, you know, uh, just kind of a, a general question for you. You mentioned earlier about Harry Potter series, and, you know, pe people, of course, in this audience are very familiar with J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, and, you know, there's a lot of books that have curses, that have magic, that have you know, these kind of characters, how, how does a, a parent or a young person for that matter, kind of differentiate between the dark that, you know, we should not 
touch and the even though if there's still some of these elements of magic and all that that it's okay it's safe is there how how does one discern that well without without necessarily spoiling my series i guess let me say that um that's a very uh i was very conscious of that issue that you're referring to and um although the series was definitely meant to be spooky and have a vibe. I don't want to give the impression that it's like a supernatural series. This isn't Twilight. There are, you know, uh, although there, you know, um, are these kind of spooky-ish things going on, it's more uh, closer to a Scooby-Doo-ish kind of a uh, resolution than, you know, a, uh, you know, uh, Harry Potter resolution. Um but no, I think it, it, you, ha- you do have to discern and you have to figure out what is, uh, you know, what is true, what is false, um, what is God working and miracles and how is that different than magic? That's actually one of the uh, themes in book three I talk about. Um, in book two, I'm looking at like, you know, the, the ghost, really? Is there a ghost haunting the cathedral? Well, what's the difference between a ghost and a saint? up in heaven that we can, you know, pray and, and ask to pray for us. That's sort of one of the conversations that goes on in, in book two. And so with the merchant's curse, you know, it's kind of that, hey, is this like a curse? And, you know, if it is, if this is of the devil, you know, doesn't good and God and the cross overcome evil? And that's, you know, the conversation kind of going on in book four. Yeah, well, very good. Well, we're just about out of time. Tony Kolink is the author. His website is antonykolink.com, A-N-T-O-N-Y, Kolink, K-O-L-E-N-C.com. This is a four published uh, books in the Harwood Mystery Series so far. As he mentioned, the fifth one is already uh, being looked at by Loyola Press, his publisher. Uh, the most recent one is called The Merchant's Curse. And please go to your local Catholic bookstore and ask if they have it. If they don't, maybe they can order it and put some on the shelf. And can you remind us if if they don't, if they just want to get it online, what's what's the best place to go, Tony? Uh, you know, probably uh, still Amazon is you know your your best place. You know, of course, get it on like ChristianBook.com and Barnes and Noble or Loyola Press's website. Um, but most people are probably ordering their books from Amazon these days. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much. Uh, look forward to our next interview when the next one comes out. Are you, can you give the title of that one yet? Or is that, is that, um, under lock and key? Well, it's, it's, it's very tentative right now, but I'm just, I'll say this book five is a murder mystery. Okay. Uh, kind of a whodunit murder mystery. All right. Thanks so much. Always good to talk to you and uh, appreciate, uh, your time today. And, uh, please go to your favorite website or your favorite bookstore and get the merchant's curse. The fourth, of the Harwood Mystery Series by Tony Kolink, the last name K-O-L-E-N-C, Tony Kolink. Thanks, Tony. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. All right, thank you. And this has been the Interview of the Week. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Interview of the Week here on KTH 910 AM on the Guadalupe Radio Network here in North Texas. Uh, my name is Dave Palmer. Diane Xavier is running our board, and we have a returning topic, but uh, it's a very important topic and something that I uh, have a great heart for personally, and uh, I am so thankful for Eileen Kuhlman and all the, the wonderful people at the Catholic Pro-Life community because they have a, a heart for babies, saving babies, but not only that, but also saving 
saving uh, the folks who have uh, suffered the effects of a past abortion. And you've heard us talk often about Rachel's Vineyard and Project Joseph, which uh, are the two uh, retreats and groups that help healing uh, for men and women and couples, and anybody who has that, that deep pain uh, from a previous abortion. And so that's going to be the topic uh, for this uh, interview of the week. And I have in studio with me uh, Chris Guznicek. Uh, he is a counselor. Uh, his practice is called Flower Mound Counseling, but for the last four years or so, he has worked with Rachel's Vineyard and also Project Joseph, and he is uh, going to be talking about an upcoming November 18th through 20th retreat for Rachel's Vineyard and who exactly that's for and what it's all about. And also, uh, very thankful for Marianne Niles, who joins us via phone. Uh, Marianne Niles has her own testimony about healing from an abortion, a previous abortion, and what, how the Rachel's Vineyard retreat uh, assisted in that healing process. Uh, her initial retreat was back in 2009, so that was a good uh, 13, 14 years ago, and so uh, she has a lot of time even afterwards to continue her healing. All right, so that's what the program is, and I thank both of our guests in studio and on the phone, and also Eileen Kuhlman and all the great folks at the CPLC as well. So, uh, uh, Chris, sounds like this. How are you doing, Chris? Good. Thanks, thanks for being here in studio. Hi, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. Very right. excited to be here. Yeah, and Marianne is on the phone. Hi, Marianne. Hey, how's everybody doing? All right, good, good. Very clear connection, so uh, praise God for that. Chris, <laughs> let me start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into counseling, and then also how that kind of merged with the mission of uh, the, the, the retreats, both with Project Joseph and Rachel's Vineyard for Healing After Abortion. Sure, absolutely. No, I appreciate that, Dave. So I, uh, I've been a counselor now for a little bit over four years or so. I spent 20-plus in sales and management, uh, mostly technology. And I just felt over those years kind of a calling to do something with a little more meaning. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, counseling, when, it, when I started going back to learn about becoming a counselor and helping people and helping people heal, uh, it was just, it was, it was perfect. Yeah. So it's, yeah. And uh, how did it come about that you know, did you have the intention all, all along that you would work with Rachel's Vineyard, the CPLC, and uh, Project Joseph, or how did that connection happen? Uh, no, I did not actually. I as as I became as I started my practice, I was looking for ways to ways to get involved, ways to just grow as a as a person. And when I came across Rachel's, I said, oh, I'll go, I'll go check it out. And I talked to Eileen. Mm-hmm. And after about five minutes, I, I knew that, yeah, I, I have to do this. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the group looks for therapists to help on the weekends. And it's just, it's been, it's been absolutely wonderful. Yeah. For those who are not familiar, I never want to assume anything. Uh, what is a Rachel's Vineyard Retreat? I mentioned there's one coming up very soon, the 18th through the 20th. Uh, what exactly is it? Who's it for? Mm-hmm. And how does it help people? Absolutely. So the the retreat is for anyone who is suffering from an abortion in their life. And it can be the mother, it can be uh, father, it can be family members, uh, anyone that is suffering. And there's, you know, there's a tremendous amount of suffering uh, with abortion. You know, you, I think you, you expect or, or, or you, you might kind of expect you know shame guilt but it's it's much deeper and more complex than that there's a tremendous amount of sadness and potentially anger and just everything else wrapped in and it's just it's it's a really difficult process so uh this organization and this weekend is just a a godsend to 
to folks that are suffering after an abortion. Yeah, I imagine, you know, especially coming from a counseling standpoint, the guilt that people feel, because this is a life and death type of mm. situation, and sometimes people just feel like uh, they're not worthy of uh, being oh, yeah. forgiven, they can't forgive the, themselves, much less God forgiven them, and uh, I'm, I'm sure from a counseling standpoint, this is an emotion that's very powerful and can, can uh, cause a lot of problems in people's lives if they don't reconcile it. A- absolutely. And, and, you know, as you, as you can imagine, the, the choice made at the time for many people is it's, it's out of worry and fear and it's made uh, almost uh, in a way that you're not really thinking about it and you don't really process it until sometimes weeks after, sometimes I mean, sometimes minutes, sometimes weeks, sometimes years mm-hmm. uh, later. Yeah. I want to bring in Marianne Niles now. As I mentioned, she, re- she attended a uh, retreat for Rachel's Vineyard back in 2009, and I don't re- know a whole lot about her story, so I'm going to kind of learn it uh, as we go along uh, with the, the listening audience as well. So Marianne, again, thank you for uh, telling your story. I don't know how hard it is or if you've done this before or, or how public you've been about your, your, your story, but can you kind of give us the background of, uh, your own, uh, you know, what, what, what uh, the abortion situation that you needed healing from in the first place? And thanks for being yes. here. Yes. And thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much, Chris, for those, for those comments. I think that those are very, very wise comments. And I feel that you, you definitely uh, covered the depth of the complex, the complexity involved in after abortion healing, and that encompasses a lot of stress, a lot of post-traumatic stress, a lot of different things that affect someone's life. And thank you so much for that, Chris. As far as my experience, it started when uh, attending an all-girls uh, Catholic high school in uh, San Antonio, Texas. I was a sophomore in high school. I had an unexpected uh, pregnancy, and I'll never forget, um, I, in my mind, the, the gentleman that I was with at the time, it was a very confusing time for me. Um, the, the culture back then was, you know, make love, not war. It was a time of Aquarius. It was the early 70s and coming out of the 60s, and it was just a very, very different time. And things were just happening so fast. You know, my, both of my parents worked. I was kind of a latchkey kid, you know, taking care of myself, you know, when I got home. But anyway, fast forwarding to my unexpected uh, pregnancy, um, I remember it was a rainy day and there was a senior from the same high school. And she came over to my house and knocked on my door. And I had no idea of that she even knew where I lived. I knew who she was, but I didn't know that she knew where I lived. And it was a, it was a tough time because we were uh, contemplating, of course, having the child. I've got to go through with this. You know, there, there is no question about it. And the year was 1973. And she came into the house and I will never forget. I was still in my uniform. She was in her uniform. She knelt down in front of me and she looked up at me and she said, you do not have to have this child. You do not have to have your baby or something. You do not have to go through with this. And I looked at her incredulously and I said, what are you talking about? And she says, you can have an abortion. I said, I didn't even know what abortion was at that time. That's how naive I was, um, uneducated, I should say. And so one thing led to another. Um, It was a circumstance that needed to be resolved. 
no longer was it having a baby, no longer, no longer were we talking about, you know, how we were going to move forward, telling our parents, you know, you know, forging ahead, which is what my heart wanted to do. Um, so I went to Eagle Pass, Texas, and there was a doctor there. And I was, I guess I was about 11 weeks. And because that's what he had told me. And I had my unfortunate uh, abortion at over there. I remember the World Series was playing because he had a TV on at the time. And it was, it was so horrific. But I do remember one thing that he asked, the, the uh, abortionist asked me, he says, why are you doing this? And I looked up at him and I started crying. And I said, because I'm just so young. That was my only reason. Mm. I'm just so young. And I will, I'm going to be honest and say that for about five or 10 minutes after the whole incident was completed, when we were driving back, I was relieved. And that relief ended as soon as I got out of the car and was headed back home mm. to uh, my family. Um, it was very, very tumultuous experience in my life from that point on. Um, it took me 35 years to get to a Rachel Singard retreat. Wow. And for 35 years, there were lots and lots of problems in the relationships that I was trying to establish with, with people and accepting myself. And just like what Chris was saying, the guilt, the shame, and I, and I, and again, I go back to the complexities because it's not only that it's, it's your soul, it's your, your spiritual growth or n no spiritual growth and that guilt, which leads you to other, other pathways and bad relationships. And you don't think you're worthy of. So there were so many different variables that were happening in my very formative years of my young adult life that ended up with me taking a lot of bad turns, still going down bad pathways, still not making the best decisions. Why? Because probably in the deepest part of my soul, I didn't think I was worthy of it. Yeah. Okay. And then of course the anniversaries and, and everything else that come up, the seasons changing. I remember the, the months, I remember the, the way things were, I, you know, it's all very picturesque to me. And of course, how old my child would be and what would they look like and that sort of thing. All those things that Chris will, uh, you know, um, do what, the things that they will discuss when they're in a counseling session or when you're at a Rachel's Vineyard retreat. So the, the, those days were very, very dark and very, very difficult for me. Uh, Marianne, thank you for, for telling you the story. That That's, uh, gosh, I'm just jotting down notes as, as you're talking because uh, a few follow-up questions, if I may. 1973, of course, that's the year of Roe v. Wade, right? Right. And I just, uh, mm -hmm. I, I wrote that down, and yeah, 35 years. And I'm also, if, if you could just, how, how did that play into it? January of uh, 73, I'm presuming, because you said the World Series was on so that you would have had this in the mm, fall. Right. So this would right. have been... Um, I, I, on the radar screen, I guess, I'm, I imagine you knew about Roe v. Wade. And uh, also, did, did you, at what point did you tell your parents or did they, they didn't know you went to Eagle Pass or, and also you didn't, well, uh, what about the, 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 the father of the, did he, was he involved at all? I'm just, all these questions pop into my mind as you tell the story. Right. right. So the father um, was very kind 
and was was happy to do either or. Yeah. You know, he was never, you know, we've got to get rid of this. Never, never, never that way. Um, I was just, uh, it was that that classmate that got that into my head. Yeah. And I honestly did not know anything about I didn't know anything about that because this was in the beginning of 73. So if you ask me, well, you knew about Roe v. Wade. No, not at that time. I was, like I said, very, I wasn't, I wasn't tuned in. I wanted to also backtrack and say that I grew up in a very, very devout Catholic home. I mean, I'm talking about two wonderful, wonderful parents that, you know, I mean, we set our rosaries every Friday. We went to mass every week. I mean, it was just a beautiful spiritual uh, upbringing. Why did I go south? I believe I went south because I was on my own a little bit too much. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I kind of, ch- I kind of chuckle at that because all it takes is a one little encounter with somebody that can just steer you off very, very delicately into a different direction, even though you had you were you were not even aware of it. Do, yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember going to rec centers and being left off for the day while my parents went to work. You know, we didn't have summer camps. You know, we had rec centers at the at the at the local elementary school. So there you are. I went to a Catholic school, so I'm with all these people in the summer in, during the summertime that I don't even know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like my neighborhood were neighborhood kids, but those aren't the people I hung out with. So not to make any excuses, all I'm saying is I just want to make it very, very clear that my parents could not have been more supportive. They found out immediately because I had lied to my parents and said I was going shopping after school. My mom realized that I didn't have any money to go anywhere. So she took it to the school and they go, oh, well, no, she called in sick. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I had to come clean with my family, you know, because they knew that something had happened and I told them and it was devastating. It was, it was a heartbreak for our entire family. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me zip forward to around 2009 and, and, you know, after 35 years of, you know, I guess not dealing with this officially, what, what, what happened to finally, uh, inspire you to, to do something and to go on this retreat? And what were the circumstances surrounding that? Very interesting, and Lee, enough, I'm, I'm in business, I was in sales just like Chris. I work for um, a healthcare organization. I've been with them for 22 years now, and I was involved in, uh, you know, marketing and sales. And so this, this young lady and I met at Starbucks because I wanted to talk to her about our services. She was going to talk to me about what she was doing. And she immediately said, have you ever heard of Rachel's Vineyard? And I was like, why are you, I, I mean, I mean, I didn't, I didn't understand the connection. We were both Catholic, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't, I couldn't understand why she was bringing it up. And I'm not sure if somebody had maybe t- mentioned something about me to her or, or something, but it was just interesting how we just got on this Rachel's Vineyard because she shared with me her abortion experience. Mm. And I listened to her. She goes, Marianne, if you have, and then I, and then I blurted out, yes, I've had, I've experienced the same thing. She goes, well, if you haven't been on one, let me tell you what it's about. It's just beautiful, beautiful. Well, it it took me several years after that to even consider going on Rachel's retreat. So so that's where the seed was planted. But the reason why I didn't want to go, and I think that this might be a reason why people in the pews at, at our Catholic churches don't pick up those cards, 
is because we don't want to we don't want to go back. We want to move forward. Yeah. I don't want to rehash my 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 history. I don't want to. I've been trying to forget about it. I've been trying to put it way back there. I've been to confession a gazillion times, talked to many priests. You know, they've, they've, uh, they've absolved me from my sins. But just like what Chris was saying, you, or maybe it was you that said, but you don't forgive yourself. And if you don't forgive yourself, how can you move forward? So it took me several years after this person mentioned Rachel's Vineyard. And I tell you what, what, it, what the, the changing point was for me was my husband went on a Christ Renews His Parish retreat. Mm. So when he went on the Christ Renews His Parish retreat, I thought, okay, if he's going on a retreat, I'm just going to do Rachel's Vineyard. Yeah. So that's what made push me to go to a Rachel's Vineyard retreat. And yeah. so, yeah. And, I know, and, and uh, I know you probably can't give a lot of details about exactly what happens in the retreat, but can you uh, share with us briefly the kind of the you went in on one as one person you came out as another what how would you right. describe the impact uh that that you know two or two or three day retreat had on you in regard to this guilt and the the, the suffering that you were you know, undergoing first of all when you go anywhere whether it's an aa meeting or if you're you know if you have an addiction or if you have a problem what do you do when you go when you're in a room full of strangers right away you start judging yourself and you think nobody, nobody has done it. I, I'm, I'm worse than everybody in this room. You know, you always could do comparisons. So I really felt scared when I started because I thought I'm, I feel like there's no way people aren't going to judge me. There's mm-hmm. no way that this is not going to be judgmental. I mean, we're all going to hear our stories. are going to hear mine is the worst. And, um, and that's not the way it was about 15 minutes into the retreat when we're all sitting there just learning how this whole weekend is going to unfold right away. You could feel all the judgment just sort of just melt away. Yeah. And every person that was walking in that room and I would look at their faces and they would sit down young, old couples, you know, grandmothers, and these people are sitting down and looking at all these faces and, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, they're suffering too. You know, there, we just don't know the scope of how deep this painful experience is in our lives. And if it's not addressed, if it's not experienced in such a way of, uh, of, of learning about God's complete and divine mercy, then you are, it's almost impossible to get to that point of true divinity of the, to, to understand the true divinity of why we were created mm-hmm. and, and that God absolutely had a purpose for us in our lives. Yes. Right? And so that is what, that is what the, 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 yeah, I don't know. I think that is the main focus of the retreat is understanding your worse. Yes. Uh, we're, we're talking to Marianne now. She has a beautiful story and you, you express it and explain it so, uh, so well. And, and so it's just a, a wonderful spokesperson for, for anybody listening right now saying, you know, okay, I think I need to do this. I think I need to do what Marianne did back in 2009 and, and again, find the healing that I've been looking for. Uh, there's a retreat coming up November 18th through the 20th. So right around the corner, you can email healing at rachel dot you can also call 214-544-CARE, 
214-544-2273 to inquire. Of course, it's all very confidential. I want to bring uh, Chris Guznicek back into the conversation. Uh, he's been involved with Rachel's Vineyard and Project Joseph for four years, and he has his own private uh, counseling uh, service called Flower Mound Counseling. In light of everything that you've heard from Marianne and mm. realizing that people out there listening, some of them are suffering from this, men or women or you know, uh, couples, uh, what would you like to add to that? Boy, I, it's hard to add to what Marianne said. That was just beautifully, beautifully said and mm-hmm. shared. Thank you so much, Marianne. Uh, wow. You, you know, when you think about the power of the weekend, you know, there, there is no doubt that the Holy Spirit is there. And, and that is enough. And what's amazing is you get so much more than that, too. You get an amazing group of people that just, as Marianne said, there's no judgment. There's, there's compassion, love, acceptance. It's just, it's safe. And it's a safe place to speak and to be open and to be vulnerable. And I think when you get a group together like that, it's just really a powerful experience for people. And it can be very, very healing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and the other thing I do want to add that's really important is everything is completely confidential. Yeah, and I find it interesting that when the co-worker said something to Marianne about the Rachel's Vineyard retreat, it still took her three years. Mm. And so there is a, I, I just, I've done a lot of these interviews with men and women mm-hmm. uh, who are suffering from abortion. And I, and I, it seems like the, it's very typical for it to be 20, 25, 30 years afterwards. So there is a certain delay. And, you know, Marianne explained that, uh, you know, the reason why you don't, you don't want to go back. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from a saint is the, the glory of God is the human person fully alive. You know, Saint Irenaeus said that many, many years ago. Uh, you, you can't be fully alive when you're holding on to guilt. I can, uh, can you comment on that from a counseling perspective? Absolutely. And it's guilt and it's also trauma. You're talking about carrying trauma. Yeah, all, all of this time, and and when, when you have a traumatic experience like that, it, it's just it's really really difficult to go back and, and open up those doors again. And uh, Marianne, I, can you speak personally to you know somebody listening out there, man, woman, couple, you know <clears throat> anybody that's involved in a past abortion, and just give them your own personal invitation to uh, email or call the, those um, <clears throat> that information I just shared. Now share again. What would you say to them? I'm so glad that you gave me this opportunity to do just that. One thing I want to emphasize, this is so, so important. This, this is not about Catholicism, okay? This is not about, it, it doesn't matter if whatever religious background you have, if you have no religious background, if this is interfaith, no faith, it, it, it doesn't matter where you are because where you will the way that you will be welcomed is where you are. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. In other words, we had non-Catholic couples coming that just was, they were able to experience the beauty of witnessing the Holy Spirit come into the lives of others. And yes, eventually in their own. I have seen it so many times. I have facilitated retreats. I've been involved as a volunteer, that was my mission afterwards. I thought, oh my gosh, every woman, every man, no matter what background, they need to come to this. I've been honored to be able to speak at the pulpits, certain churches. I wish the priests would allow us to do this more. I think, it, I think that these things, these testimonies need to be heard in, in, our, in our churches. And, and not just tucked away in a little, in a radio interview, just, you know what I'm saying? But everywhere, mm-hmm. 
But um, but that's what I would want to emphasize to whoever is listening out there. And I know this is a Catholic radio station, but those Catholics, everybody out there, you know someone that isn't. You know someone that's hurting. You know people out there. You know their backgrounds. Please, please share this very, very good news about this healing process. Yeah, and you, you'd be surprised how many non-Catholics listen to Catholic radio. So oh, uh, we're glad they're we're glad they're here. So, uh, but you're absolutely right. This is uh, uh, a human thing. Of course, the Catholic Church uh, teaching touches on everything human, but it's not just for Catholics. Uh, Marianne, thank you. Uh, very, very well uh, said, and thank you for your testimony and uh, for sharing sharing it with us on the on the radio today. And also, Chris Guznicek, uh thank you for for your work and for being involved in these Rachel Vineyard uh, retreats and also the Project Joseph which is for the man and that's Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM Frisco Dallas Fort Worth on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas Catholic Radio for your soul Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone